Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you for the gift of this day. God, thank you for the opportunity to gather, to worship you, to open your word, to seek to understand you and to know you better. And God, you say that when we seek you, we will find you. And so this morning, we just want to know what it is that you have for us. We ask that your Holy Spirit, God, would open our ears, our hearts, our minds, that we would see what is in your word for what it is, not what we want it to be or what we have been taught before, but what's really there. And so, God, we just give you this time and pray that uh, so often we do that you, would, <clears throat> that you would make yourself known to us. You set divine appointments. And so we're all here, God, and we're waiting to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So you're all here for a first this morning. You didn't know that when you walked in. Quite frankly, neither did I. The first is this. We have never before this morning done a baby dedication where the baby brought their own choir. So, Seth and Marin, way to go. Happy birthday, Joy's Choir. That was really cool to be a part of. Thank you. <laughs> if this is the first time you're with us, we're uh, wrapping up a series in Acts. And uh, we're going to go quickly today because we've got a few chapters to cover before the summer's over. We're going to cover chapter 21 and most of chapter 22. So if you are a note taker, go on uh, light speed with your notes today. Um, Here's the thing. We left off in in, uh, the end of chapter 20. Paul was feeling compelled by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He knew there would be a lot of Jews there. There was a festival going on. He was going to encounter a lot of his people because he had been raised Jewish. And he, the Bible says that he felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to return to Jerusalem, even though he knew it was not going to be easy, that he would be jailed and beaten. And it was not going to be an easy trip. Nonetheless, Paul feels strongly that he's supposed to go. Well, today we're going to find out that... that uh, he finds himself in an interesting situation because he's going to hear more than one voice. And, and the thing I want to start with is this. What voices do you listen to? What voices help you make the decisions that you make? What voices do you allow into your ears and into your mind? Because here's the difference. What they do is they either help you, those voices help you to follow God's will, or they encourage you to follow your wants. And that's the situation that Paul is in. He's got to make some decisions in this passage today. But it's relevant to us because God has a plan and a purpose and a will for your life. But he also allows you in his love for you to choose what you want for your life. So do you choose God's will for your life, or do you choose your wants for your life? And the voices that we surround ourselves are the ones that help us to make those decisions for better or for worse. So uh, Paul's journey to Jerusalem, starting in Acts chapter 21. Uh, After saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Cos. The next day we reached Rhodes and then went to uh, Patera. Paul is journeying by boat. He's covering a lot of land, but he's doing it by sea. And part of the reason we've talked about that all of these city names and all of these people names are there so that we can actually track his progress. It isn't like they're making up a story. It's really happening. And so if you've got one of those Bibles that has the cool maps in the back, there's a pretty good chance that Paul's missionary journeys are on there. And they do them in different colors. And so you can go city to city to see where it is that he's been traveling. Uh, We sighted the island of Cyprus, so they're in an awfully beautiful part of the world. 
passed it on our left and landed at the harbor of, a harbor of Tyre in Syria where the ship was to unload its cargo. Syria, where Damascus is, where Paul had his encounter with the Lord that caused him to be blind. And he went from being a Jew who persecuted Christians to a man who now was a Jewish man who believed in Jesus and accepted salvation in his name. He says, we went ashore, found the local believers, and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. We are going to run into the word, word prophecy and prophesied a number of times. Sometimes that's got controversy in the church. It's really too bad because whenever there's controversy surrounding prophecy, it's because we're misunderstanding. Either what the word means or we're misunderstanding God. But we're going to see the word prophecy. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit. It's important, Luke adds, that it was through the Holy Spirit. They weren't talking about their wants. They were talking about what the Holy Spirit was. God was saying through His Holy Spirit that Paul should not go on to Jerusalem. Paul's hearing a different voice than the one that he heard. See, it says that Paul felt compelled by the Spirit early on. Luke is saying... These people are prophesying through the Holy Spirit. There's a distinction that Luke is making. Paul's got to decide whether to listen or not. When he returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There we knelt, prayed, and said our farewells. When we went aboard, they returned home. Paul decided not to listen to their word of prophecy. They, he decided not to listen to their prophetic word for him to stay away from Jerusalem. He decided to continue on his course. The next stop after leaving Tyre was Ptolemy, where we uh, greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for a day. The church has grown. The church exists. He is returning back and meeting other people who are a part of the way, the name for the early Christian church. He stayed for a day. The next day... We went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. It's recalling back to that part early in the book of Acts that we talked about where there was the first fight, the first argument in the church where the Greek widows and orphans and the Hebrew Greek widows and orphans had, and, their, and the people taking care of them had a disagreement. And it was about who got the better part of the food. So they appointed seven leaders to take care of the food distribution and to take care of the needs. Philip was one of them. He had four unmarried daughters who had the gift of prophecy. Very interesting things in that little sentence if we understand the culture. Women in Old Testament Scripture, the place that they had in the world was because of their husband. They didn't really have a place or a voice in the community or the church or anywhere for that matter other than being around other women. And here it says that he has four unmarried daughters. That is about the most forgettable bunch in the world until they get married, four of them. But they have the gift of prophecy. In the New Testament, God is doing something new. God is doing something different. The Holy Spirit has come for all people. And these four young women had the gift of prophecy. Several days later, a man named Agabus, who also had the gift of prophecy, again, a prophetic word from the Holy Spirit, arrived from Judea. He came over and he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands with it. He took Paul's belt and he bound his feet and hands with it. And he said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go home. Luke suddenly includes himself in the text. We heard it and we begged Paul. Luke said, I was right along with them. 
This is a prophetic word in, four other, in front of four other young women who had the gift of prophecy telling Paul, begging Paul not to go. If you go, you're going to be bound by the Jewish leaders when you get there. But he, Paul, says, why all this weeping? You're breaking my heart. I'm ready not only to be jailed in Jerusalem, but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus. When it was clear that we couldn't persuade him, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Adrian, I met a a wonderful old woman in Florida who was very Italian, and her phrase in a moment like this is, what will be, will be. There's nothing I can do. Do what you're going to do. They decide that there's no convincing Paul. Paul is so set for whatever reason. He's ignoring people with the gift of prophecy that Luke is saying is coming from the Lord, is coming from the Holy Spirit. He's ignoring them because he is set to go to Jerusalem. He is heading back to his people. He wants more than anything for the Jewish people to receive Jesus. Even if it means that he's going to jail, even if it means that he never leaves. And what we're finding is because Paul chooses to continue And they say, the Lord's will be done. Go do what you're going to do. Paul is at this critical juncture in his life. He believes that he's heard from the Holy Spirit that he should go to Jerusalem. These people who are prophesying in the name of the Holy Spirit are begging him not to go to Jerusalem. It's one of those, what do I do? Where am I going to go? A critical moment, a critical juncture in his life. And it changes the course of his ministry for the rest of his life. What do you do when you find yourself in one of those positions? When you know this is one of those moments, this job, this move, this decision, this relationship, this is going to change everything that happens going forward. Everything is going to be different. It's one of those moments where listening to the right voices can make the difference for everything. Paul is at one of those places. And what Paul chooses is to listen to what is in his mind the voice of the Holy Spirit compelling him to go to Jerusalem and ignore all the voices of the other people who are sharing a prophetic word from the Holy Spirit begging him not to. I told you at the beginning we're going to talk about voices and which ones do you listen to. Do you listen to the voice of God's will for you? Do you look and search God's word for God's position on something or do you choose your wants? Because Paul is ignoring all the people who are speaking for the Holy Spirit and he's continuing to go on his way. Whether that makes him determined or stubborn, I can't tell you. I'm not sure that I know. But what I know is that Paul is human just like you and I are. And he's at this critical juncture and he's got to make a critical decision. And the decision he makes is to continue on the way, the path that he's chosen. He's headed to Jerusalem. After this, we packed our things and left for Jerusalem, and some believers from Caesarea accompanied us. Uh, They took us to the home of um, one of the early believers. When we arrived, the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem welcomed us warmly, a phrase that we really don't hear about the Jewish people welcoming anybody. But it seems that in the way, in the Christian church, Luke wants to make sure that this community of believers welcomes each other. They're happy to see each other. There is a warm welcome waiting when they arrive. The next day, Paul went with us to meet with James. That would be the brother of Jesus. And all the elders of the Jerusalem church were present. After greeting them, Paul gave a detailed account of the things that God had accomplished among the Gentiles through his ministry. He went on and he told them about the mission trips. 
doesn't say he talked about the bad things. He talked about the good things, the God is at work things, the things that he was able to be a firsthand witness to as the church was growing and lives were being transformed and changed. He wanted to come back to these leaders in Jerusalem and share with them ministry success. God is at work. This is what's happening out there. I just want you to be a part of it. One of the things that's so much fun about being a part of this community, this congregation, this place where God is at work, is we hear those stories. We hear them out of our Wednesday night youth ministry. We hear them out of our recovery church. We hear them from you here on Sunday morning. God is at work and lives are being transformed and changed. And people know salvation in the name of Jesus when all they knew was death and fear of what was going to happen with their life before. Paul is sharing those stories with people. After hearing this, they praised God and they said, You know, dear brother, how many thousands of Jews have also believed. And they all follow the law of Moses very seriously. And as quickly as that, the celebration changes. And what they're working in is the conversation of, But we've never done it your way before, Paul. This is the right way. This is the way our religion works. See, the Jewish believers here in Jerusalem have been told, you're teaching all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn their backs on the law of Moses. They've heard that you teach them not to circumcise their children or follow other Jewish customs. What should we do? Certainly they will hear that you have come. It's the age-old question in the church. Religion or relationship? Is it our tradition or is it the fact that we're going to follow Jesus and His Word? See, we get so confused and, and there are some denominational churches that get so caught up in the tradition and what we have to do that we lose sight of what we get to do as followers of Jesus. And that's what they're bringing to Paul. You're crossing all the lines. Where's your allegiance, Paul? Who are you really loyal to? There's an old song, and maybe some of you learned this growing up, and it seems to be missing in this argument. They'll know we are Christians by our love. The argument that they're making is that they'll know that we are Jews by keeping the laws. And there are still Christians today, there are churches today, that say the only way that you're going to be able to identify with us is if you do everything just like us. And the first question I've learned to ask is, well, where does the Bible tell us to do that? Because more often than not, it doesn't. And Paul is experiencing opposition in the midst of a celebration. What he wants to do is to assure the Jewish leaders that he's still a Jewish man, that he still respects their customs. But they say, here's what we want you to do. We've got four men here who have completed their vow. Not sure what it is. It's referenced earlier. We think it's probably a Nazarite vow. Go with them to the temple and join them in the purification ceremony, paying, uh, paying for them to have their heads ritually shaved. Then everyone will know that the rumors are all false and that you yourself observe the Jewish laws. Paul, go and do this to make sure everybody knows that you're still Jewish. Yeah, you're caught up in this new thing, but Paul, let's make sure that everybody's confident they're all comfortable that you're still a faithful Jewish man. As for the Gentile believers, they should do what we already told them in the letter. They should abstain from eating food offered to idols, from consuming blood or the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Nothing about that they will know we are believers by our love. Paul is caught on the bridge between his growing up and a man of the Jewish faith and tradition and a man who has been transformed and changed by Jesus, and a man of the way. 
He's caught in the middle. And his struggle, and we see it throughout the book of Acts, Paul's struggle is to maintain that Jewish heritage, to maintain his connection to his, his people, his church, who he desperately wants to believe in Jesus, and also realizing that a lot of the rules and the rituals and the religions don't matter. They get in the way of the relationship with Jesus. He's caught in the middle, but he's trying to, he's trying to be a part of both. And here's how that works in our world. Your stronghold, Paul's stronghold was his rooting in the church can very quickly become your stranglehold. Because your stronghold can be the thing that ties you to religion. And it becomes the stranglehold that prevents you from living your life fully in Jesus. And Paul's caught once again in the midst of a group of people who are starting to ratchet it up. Your stronghold can become your stranglehold if religion is more important than a relationship with Jesus. So Paul went on to the temple the next day with the other men. They'd already started the purification ritual. So he publicly announced the date when their vows would end and sacrifices would be offered for each of them. The seven days were almost ended when some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple and they raised a mob against him. This is the Asia that he was uh, stopped from the Holy Spirit from going into earlier. Now we've got another mob. And you're going to hear me say again, because this is the section where again happens over and over. They raised a mob. They grabbed him and yelled, men of Israel, help us. Not only are they a mob, they're a loud mob. This is the man who preaches against our people everywhere. Not true and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. Not true. He speaks against the temple. Not true. He even defiles his holy place by bringing in Gentiles. Not true. For earlier the day, the Bible says, they had seen him in the city with a Gentile from Ephesus, and they assumed Paul had taken him to the temple. Here's the thing. When a mob starts, when someone wants to discredit you, when someone wants to challenge you in front of others for your faith, the truth doesn't matter. Only how strong they'll tell the story. And they add all these accusations to Paul just to get him to stop sharing the good news of Jesus. See, he's not a real Jew. You can't listen to him. He doesn't even know what he's talking about. He doesn't believe in anything. The whole city was rocked by these accusations and a great riot followed. Again, Paul is caught in the middle of a riot. He was grabbed and dragged out of the temple and immediately the gates were closed behind him as they were trying to kill him again. They're trying to kill Paul, put an end to the message. Word reached the commander of the Roman regiment that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately called out his soldiers and officers, and he ran down among the crowd when the mob saw the commander and the troops coming. They stopped beating Paul, not because it was the right thing to do, because they didn't want to get in trouble. They didn't want to be caught in their lies. They didn't want to be caught in their gossip and rumors. See, the deal was the Romans let the Jewish people do pretty much what they wanted until they threatened Roman rule. And a mob threatened Roman rule. And so they were afraid of getting arrested themselves. That's why they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander arrested him and ordered him bound with two chains again. He asked the crowd who he was and what he had done. And some shouted one thing and some shouted another. See, false accusations lead to a lot of uncertainty. Welcome to our America today, right? The thing we call it now is conspiracy theory. But we don't really know who to believe. This side is accusing that side, and that side is accusing this side. And Jesus in love is left out of the entire story and situation, just like what's happening with Paul. They don't even know what they're fighting for. They don't even know what they're riding about. Since he couldn't find the truth out the uproar, in the uproar and confusion, he ordered that Paul be taken to the fortress as Paul reached the stairs. The mob grew so violent, the soldiers had to lift him to their shoulders to protect him. 
And the crowd followed behind him shouting, kill him, kill him. Just like with Jesus. The same people shouted the same thing. Kill him, kill him. His message goes against our religion. No, his message is the fulfillment of God's promise that your people have been carrying for generations. He doesn't go against your religion. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises that your religion is built around. But they don't like Paul's message, and so they don't like Paul, and so they yell, kill him, kill him, just like they did with Jesus. What's the easiest way to stop and silence someone whose message you don't like? You discredit them and you kill them. We do character assassinations today. happens all the time in our news. Here they just actually killed people. As Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, May I have a word with you? commander says, Do you know Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? The guy doesn't even have the right person. He doesn't even know who Paul is. That's how much progress he's made with his prisoner. No, Paul replied, I'm a Jew and a citizen of Tarsus in Cilicia, which is an important city. Please let me talk to these people. The commander agreed. So Paul stood at the stairs and motioned to the people to be quiet. Soon a deep silence enveloped the crowd and he addressed them in their own language, Aramaic. It got quiet because he stood up. They thought there's no way in the world this guy gets a chance to speak. And yet there he is. And what does he do? He begins to speak to them in their language, a different voice than what they expected. They would not have expected him to speak in their native language. Something about this guy was a little bit different. So they got quiet and they started listening. Brothers and esteemed fathers, Paul said, listen to me as I offer my defense. And when they heard them speaking in their own language, the silence grew even greater. Suddenly, his voice was one they were willing to pay attention to. When I say to you, what voices do you listen to? So often we give credit and we give listen time to voices because they have degrees. Or because we told that they're the expert. Or that they're the person who knows more than we do. But when it contradicts the Word of God, we need to be able to decipher those out. And even if you give time to listen to them, you need to hear what they really say. They give Paul time to listen to him. Paul says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia. I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem on Gamaliel. He starts with that because Gamaliel is a rabbi they all knew. He was famous. Only the best and most promising students, rabbinical students, would have trained under him. Paul was saying, he was my teacher. He was my mentor. I trained under Gamaliel. I was so faithful a Jew that Gamaliel chose me as one of his students. His credentials suddenly are beginning to rise in this crowd. As a student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. He's telling him I'm not ignorant. I became zealous to honor God everything I did, just like all of you today. And he goes on and on. And he says, I was going to go to Damascus, and I was going to bring back these people of the way. And he's saying, I'm just like one of you. I got my start right where you are. This is Paul's story. Paul is trying to make a connection with them on his story, on how he was living his life, on how he was finding success. And then we get to a turning point. And this is the same turning point we have in our life. We have a story of the things that we tried, the things that we succeeded at, the things that maybe we think we did well. But we also have a testimony as believers in Jesus. And our testimony is what happens in our life when God doesn't give up on us. Our testimony is who we are when Jesus becomes real and we begin to live for Him, not the voices that we try to please in the world. 
And that's the change that happens. He said, as I was on the road approaching Damascus about noon, and he goes on and he talks about encountering Jesus, how the bright light shone and he heard the voice and he was struck blind and he had to be carried away to someone else's house and he was cared for and he told the whole thing. And then he says, uh, <clears throat> I was a complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and kept the coats they took off when they stoned him. He was an accomplice to the murder of the first Christian who died for the cause. Paul is letting them know that I did all of this in the name of being a faithful Jew. But God was doing something else. After I returned, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trance. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, Hurry, leave Jerusalem, for the people here won't accept your testimony about me. Your testimony about me, not your story, not your history, not your background, not your upbringing, your testimony. But Lord, he argues, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you, and I was in complete agreement. But the Lord said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And this becomes the beginning of his missionary journeys. And the moment he said that, they didn't like him anymore, because the Bible says the crowd listened until Paul said that word, Gentiles. Then they all began to shout, away with such a fellow. He isn't fit to live. They yelled, threw off their coats, and tossed handfuls of dust into the air. Why? Because suddenly Paul was in favor of people who weren't like them. We still divide our churches like that today. The people who belong and the people who don't. The people who want and the people who don't want. The people who are good enough and the people who aren't. The people maybe who have been forgiven just enough or haven't done anything wrong. And the people who certainly God will never forgive. And they draw the line with Paul the moment he says Gentiles, and they say, nope, kill him. So what we do in the church today is we love when people agree with us. Find a couple of people who have the same irk or irritation that we do, and then we say we as though it represents everyone. And that's how mobs get started. A mature Christian, a mature Christian, is willing to be challenged by God's Word, is willing to be challenged by other people and go back and say, okay, God, what do you say, me about, say to me about this situation? See, it boils down to the voices that we choose to listen to. Paul believed he was hearing the Holy Spirit when he felt he was called to Jerusalem. Paul desperately wanted his own people to know salvation in Jesus. He didn't listen to the voices and the prophetic words for the people who told him not to go to Jerusalem. I told you this is a critical moment in his life, just like you and I have critical moments. What changed here is Paul never left Jerusalem. Paul went to jail and his missionary journeys were over. Paul didn't plant another church. Paul didn't go back and visit and encourage other believers. Paul was able to do some writing. Paul was able to visit only the people who came to him. Paul's ministry changed completely because he chose to ignore those who had a prophetic word to stay away from Jerusalem and he chose to believe the Holy Spirit told him to go to Jerusalem. Now God blessed his ministry. God blessed his life. Paul didn't die today or tomorrow or in the next page of this. Uh, eventually he does. But God continued to use Paul to grow the Christian church. But it was a critical moment in his life. So what about you? What do you do in those critical moments and what voices do you listen to? Who is the person or who are the people that you trust to help you decipher and discern God's Word against the Word of the world? Because here's the thing. The world is loud. 
The world uses pictures and videos and newspapers and movies and magazines and other people. The world is loud and it's convincing. And it says, if you don't agree and if you're not a part of this, there's something wrong with you. You're the problem. And then other people get on board and they make us feel the same way and they end up getting us to be quiet about our faith. They get us to be quiet about sharing the good news of Jesus. And sometimes God is so quiet. Sometimes God barely whispers. Sometimes God, God doesn't send someone with a prophetic gift. God just puts the Bible on your shelf. And He says, if you seek Me, you're going to find Me. What voices do you listen to? Do you listen to the voice of the world that says, you want it, go get it? Or do you listen to the voice of God that says, you know, maybe that isn't best for you. I have something even better. We have the same decision to make that Paul made. And one of the things that I say a lot from up here is, what if? What if Paul hadn't heard the Holy Spirit, but what if Paul really just wanted to go to Jerusalem because he wanted to save the Jews? What if Paul had listened to the people who had the prophetic words telling him to stay away from Jerusalem? What if the Jewish people had listened to him all along and said, Jesus is our Messiah, Jesus is... Thank you, Paul. What if? What's your what if? What is your situation now? What was it? What's coming? Your what if? What if you say yes when you don't understand and you say no when it isn't easy? What if you speak when it's going to cause you a problem and people are going to oppose you? What if you hold your words when you really want to just tell somebody off? What is the what if that's going to define the next chapter of your life? What, what is the critical moment that you're facing? What are the voices that you're listening to? And how much time do you give God to speak in the middle of the voices of the, of the world? Because the fact of the matter is, the world doesn't speak for Jesus. People who say, you know what, as a Christian, you really ought to believe, or Jesus was, and they fill in the blank. No, they've got Jesus created in their image, not recognizing who God really reveals Jesus to be. The world, more often than not, is not going to be the voice that aligns itself with Scripture. It's going to be the voice that aligns itself with the enemy of God to separate you from God. So what voice do you listen to? Because here's the thing, the voices that we listen to become our thoughts. And our thoughts, they become our beliefs. And our beliefs, they become our attitudes. How we feel about the world and the people in it, what we're willing to share, what we agree with and what we don't, and our attitudes, they become our convictions. Our convictions become our actions. And our actions become our legacy. And it all goes back to what voices are you going to listen to? What voice are you going to give the credibility to enter into your mind to shape the rest of your life? If it isn't God through His Word, you probably had best take some time and ask yourself, why am I ignoring what God wants from me and choosing what I want for me? What voices are you going to listen to? Let's pray. God, thank you for Paul. Thank you for the way that he is a human just like we are. God, he is trying to do the right thing. He's trying to understand. He is so committed. He is so passionate. He so believes in Jesus and wants his people to know and believe in Jesus that he allows himself to be put in harm's way.
He allows the rest of his life to be changed because of that commitment. God, we want to be that committed to Jesus. But we also want to be open to the voice of your Holy Spirit. Whether it comes through your word, whether it comes through you speaking directly to us, or whether the voice of your Holy Spirit comes to us through someone else who we know that we can trust because they're steeped in your word. Because, God, those voices that we listen to, they become who we are. Those voices don't just shape our thinking, they can change our thinking. Those voices don't just affect our actions, they can cause our actions. God, help us to listen to you first and foremost. Help us to love you and your word in a way that is able to drown out every other voice the world might throw at us. Even when you come to us, in something as soft and quiet and gentle as a whisper. In Jesus' name, amen. Last thing I got for you is this. Here's the way that the enemy of God works. You have now heard about voices. You've heard about the power of the Holy Spirit in prophecy. You've heard about that God has a plan for you and that we have this tendency to choose our wants over His will. And that means the enemy is going to be really loud in your world this week. You're going to have all kinds of voices and they're going to come from surprising places. And I'm not going to challenge you to anything. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to encourage you to start praying that God filters out all the noise that isn't from Him and so that the voices that you listen to and focus on, lean into and trust are the voices that God sends you in your world because God is not going to let you out there be out on your own. God is going to send you people to go through life and to help you when you need it. Learn to discern and hear the voices from God and learn to ignore the voices of the world. One more song before you go, folks. Thanks for coming. Have an awesome week.